0: Tritherion, lend me your power to heal this poor soul.
1: Whoa, 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 whoa! Hold on there.
0: Oh, who who's that?
1: Wait a minute! You have been praying to me for years, and you don't know who I am.
0: Tritherion, praise be! But why won't you heal my friend?
1: Look, look, look! look. You you've called upon me. 30 times in the past week to heal this poor wretch
0: I don't think has it has it really been 30 like but he's 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 my friend and, and he's helping me get through this quest
1: Oh no the way that I see it is you're helping him through the quest. He's just baggage
0: Oh uh are, are you sure you can't help me heal him one more time? I'm pretty sure he's gonna die.
1: Let me think about that one second. Request denied. This time on Becoming DM, we're continuing our series of dealing with, talking about clerics. Hey everyone, this is John.
0: And this is Danielle.
1: And you guessed it, we are continuing our occasional series called Dealing With, where we talk about certain classes and try to understand what their capabilities are and how to integrate them into our stories, as well as how to challenge them in our stories, so they're not just walking around, walking over everything with their, their massive amount of powers. Um, so Danielle, before we get started, have you ever had uh, worked
0: with clerics in your games? You know, at, as we were preparing this, I thought how strange it was. I'd never noticed before, but I've never actually had somebody play a cleric in one of my campaigns. Really? Never, not once. Yeah, which is really weird. Um, usually somebody picks a cleric because, you know, the heals. Um, but that's usually been fed by druids, and people, for the most part, just have never picked one. I have played with clerics before um, alongside them. Uh, Most notably, uh, we played in a very aggressive campaign once and we had one person who wasn't really big into role playing, but they did want to participate. And the best way for them to do so was to basically just be this moving, healing plate male. Healbot. That just wandered. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's basically all they did. And the rest of the party, everybody else went through like four characters, except the the healbot who just kind of just clunked her way through and just healed people, resurrected them when they could. Uh, But otherwise, yeah, that's basically been my experience with clerics.
1: You know, it's interesting because I... You, you you sound a little bit surprised that you haven't had games with clerics in them, but I, while I have had some, I haven't had a lot, and I think that there's this this kind of stigma that if I'm the cleric, I'm just going to be the heal bot. All I'm there is to to heal people, which I, I don't think has to be the case. But I think that a lot of people get it in their head, and so they're like, yeah, I don't really want to. I don't really want to deal with that. Um, I, would you agree? I am
0: surprised by that. I yeah I, I would agree with that, which is which is surprising because when you really get down to the mechanics of it, clerics are heal bots so that can deal some major damage. Yep yep, yeah.
1: Thanks. So um, as I mentioned, I have played with uh, clerics in games. Um, I, the Pathfinder game I'm running right now currently does have a cleric that is uh, that is playing. But when he started the game, he made very clear to me and everyone at the table, listen. I'm not going to heal you at the drop of a hat. I'm not that kind of cleric. (laughs) And he really wanted to make sure everybody knew that he was not focused on healing. He was focused on these other things that cleric can do again, that getting to the point where he can do that, that large amount of damage, um, uh, all sorts of other stuff, uh, dealing out damage and stuff. So that was his focus. He didn't really care about the healing. I think the only healing spell he's used, which we'll talk about later in in the in the episode, is is the channel energy. I don't think he's ever used any other healing spell in a, in the game. And they're at level five.
0: <laughs> oh wow, that's uh, actually that's that's got to be like a feat for a cleric to get to <laughs> level five. <laughs> like that. <laughs>
1: Maybe there's an actual feat in Pathfinder for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, there could be. Or a title.
1: Yeah, so I, I've played in games with clerics. Um, I did play in one game where the cleric pretty much just did healing and buffing. Um, never saw them actually take a swing at someone. Yeah. Um, I in fact I don't even know if they had weapons from from how they played. <laughs> <laughs> uh so all that to say there's a lot of different ways that people can play a cleric. It's just a matter of how you want to do it and whether you're going to stick with uh with the the heal bot trope or do something a little different.
0: Yeah, cuz there's like we like I said before clerics they can do some mean damage. Um most notably so like just going over the class in and of itself, is they are a religious healer, but they are also a warrior. So they're a healer and a warrior. I know a lot of people kind of take it as, oh, I'm going to be, you know, the healer of the group, but... Clerics are also most notably, like, are also very well known for their ability to to deal damage. They they get in there, they take the hits, which is handy though, because if you have somebody who's down in combat, they're surrounded by enemies. You really don't want something, you know, squishy without any armor that's going to go try and and poke that person to deliver a heal.
1: <laughs> I got you to <laughs> heal you, but then I got killed.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, But to that, let's maybe get down into a little bit of the details of the class. Um, So your typical cleric, as you're probably aware, is going to really focus on wisdom. And I was reading in the book and I saw that they then focus on charisma and I was like, really? Do they? And In reading through some of the spells, it does make sense because when you talk about some of the healing spells or the channel spells or the number of times they can do some things on certain days, um, the charisma bonus does come into play there. So um, there is a reason why they use charisma with their wisdom. I honestly, having not played a cleric before myself, was a little bit surprised. Yeah, that's I
0: would I would have also been a little bit surprised by that but to a certain degree because they're also still kind of like um, very religious, right? They m- might be wandering around the countryside spreading the good Preaching. word kind of thing. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> carrying their banner and their books. Um, but uh, <laughs> so the other thing is that uh, clerics have a D8 hit die. Is that the same in Pathfinder? It is, yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah, so they, they don't have... They're about middle ground, I find, for, for the hit points. Um, but a lot of times when I've seen clerics, they usually have a high constitution, so they end up on a little bit on the higher side. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're about mid-ground as far as their physical hit points.
1: Yep. And, and as we've been saying, with the whole religious healer, things like that, they typically are going to worship a deity. Now, the thing that I found interesting about them is that there is a section in Pathfinder where it's like, yeah, if you don't want to worship a deity, um, you can have alternate options for, for that. Um, you can instead have a concept that's worthy of devotion, like battle, death, justice, and knowledge. Um, so you're worshiping battle. Um, and, and so if you have players that Maybe have steered away from the cleric uh, class because they don't like the concept of worshiping a deity, uh, whatever the reason may be. Maybe it's because of their own personal religious convictions or maybe it's because of their own personal anti-religious convictions or something completely different. Um, <laughs> this, this would give them an option to still play that cleric without having to, to get into um, that sort of uh, um, situation.
0: That is really good to know. I didn't know that. I, I mean, I really like that because I know a lot of people, um, just because of where I grew up, that ha- that don't play clerics because of that very specific reason. Yep. Um, I'm going to have to look into that.
1: <laughs> I don't. So I tried to see if there was anything with that in 5e. I, I didn't go beyond checking the player's handbook, but in the player's handbook, there it didn't appear that there were any... Uh, specific rules about that. I mean, obviously, as the DM, you could make that uh, that uh, decision. Um,
0: yeah, I can straight rob it. Yeah, from and
1: Pathfinder. <laughs> and I, I see a lot of I see a lot of online a lot of like memes and stuff. There was a this wave of memes talking about can clerics be atheists or something like that. And I guess if you if you decide that you're gonna you're going to um, pursue that concept worthy of devotion of combat. Sure, you could be an atheist you're you're focused on the combat,
0: yeah, and you're running around spreading the good word of death, yeah or <laughs> whatever <laughs> whatever it is that you chose as your worthy devotion,
1: yep. Um so they are going to be proficient in light and medium armor, shields, um simple weapons, and in Pathfinder you also will be uh proficient in the favored weapon of your deity. So most of the deities kind of have a favored weapon, so it could be that you have some interesting unique weapon that you're also proficient in in addition to uh those simple weapons, which I think is kind of neat.
0: That is neat. That's I'm I haven't uh I haven't really gone through the 5E um, cleric. And I know that it was the same in 3.5. And at this present point in time, I'm actually a little bit upset that that might not be a part of 5E. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite thing. I would always pick, like, if when I was going through the book, it's like, you know, what are the good deities for, you know, temples and stuff? I always pick the ones with the cool weapons. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, um I, I don't believe I saw that in, in 5e. I think that it's really just the simple weapons. So uh, one area where those 5e clerics lose out, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's, uh, let's get into maybe some of the more specific class features. And I'm going to have you go ahead and kick this off, Daniel.
0: All right. Sounds good. So starting with the class features, like level one straight off the hop as a cleric in D&D, you get your access to cantrips, which... Um, are super amazing tiny spells that uh, can be used so much. Um, (laughs) General spell... (laughs) It's it's insane. (laughs) General spell casting and your divine domain. Um, So it allows you to cast cantrips and grants you access to spells in the domain related to your deity so each deity will have their own specialization. Um, Sometimes it's a special weapon depending on what books you're reading. And uh, the domain also gives you some domain features. And so... When you first start off with uh, with a cleric in D&D, there is a little bit of um, reading that you should do, really, uh, if you're running a a cleric. And also, if you are the DM of somebody who is running a cleric, as much as it's nice to be able to rely on your players to know about their character, it's always worth it to kind of give those things a little bit of a quick read to make sure that everybody's on board with what... Is doing what?
1: Reading. I thought that role-playing I games know. were just a bunch of math.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> Boo. Um, a,
1: a word about that divine domain. Uh, if you're comparing clerics uh, within the D&D uh, realm, if you're comparing clerics to other classes, other classes have a, a class feature like the rogue has the roguish archetype, bards have bardic colleges, the druids have uh, circles, and, and so the the domain is kind of like that part for the cleric. So we'll see when we get here mm-hmm. further on in levels that we don't really have a, a big class feature like that that gets added in at level three because you get that at level one instead. So something to, to keep in mind.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So if we look at Pathfinder for first level, uh, they get a handful of, a handful of things, um, some of which are are. Just more, I think, feel more flavor uh, a little bit. You could obviously there's some mechanic related to it, like aura. Uh, the cleric has the aura of their corresponding deity's alignment. Um, okay, so you got an aura. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they also get channel energy, uh, which is basically allows the uh, the cleric three times a day plus their charisma modifier so if you have a charisma modifier of plus three you could do it six times a day um either heal or do damage in a 30 foot radius and at at level one you can do one d6 with that with that channel um so there are some decision points there because if you play uh if you play a good character a good aligned character This is where I think um, alignment comes a little bit more into play on the Pathfinder side than on the D and D side. If you play a good aligned character, then um, your channel energy channels healing energy, but damages undead where if you are an evil aligned character, it, it uh, heals undead and channels damaging energy. If you're neutral, you can make the decision one way or the other, but once you make it, it is set in stone. So Um, Something to keep in mind as you're looking at that that channel energy and what it can do for you. Additionally, Mm -hmm. at the Pathfinder side, we've got uh, domains, uh, much like uh, like in in D&D, this kind of grants you access to certain spells. Uh, Within Pathfinder, you also get domain abilities and domain spell slots. So those are in addition to your regular spell slots. And there are... Uh, I don't know how to say this correctly. or horizons, they're basically like cantrips for Pathfinder.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's that's There's what I ran of... into them. <laughs> yeah, that's that's an interesting word. I mm, wonder where they came up with it. Uh, so yeah, they've got cantrips. Can they be cast as much in Pathfinder as they can in in 5e?
1: Yeah, you can you can pretty much when they don't consume a spell slot or anything, so you can pretty much cast them as much as you want in a in a day.
0: <laughs> Just keep firing them off. Uh, all right, so in level 2 for a cleric in d d uh, 5e, um, you gain the ability to channel divinity. So once per day, it allows you to do turn undead or a divine effect granted to you by your domain. And that should be listed in your, um, in your domain choice, uh, whatever it is that, that they've chosen. Uh, so yeah, this is (laughs) at level two, you get to channel your divinity and, uh, essentially because you're, you're as a cleric, you're, you're BFFs with your, with your God, um, they they will let you do cool things um, because you're such a devout follower. And uh, I mean, as much as you start to get that unlock at at uh, level one, because you get that divine domain um, at level two, being able to channel the divinity yep. and you get that domain feature, those are pretty helpful and really good boosts for level two, if you ask me.
1: Yep, absolutely. Then when we go to Pathfinder uh, at level two, um, we just get more spells. So you get the, the ability to cast more spells of, of your level one, of your, of your Osirin. Um, so uh, that's pretty much, pretty much it.
0: Yeah, and coincidentally, it's the exact same thing for D&D, but at level three, where you don't actually unlock anything new uh, except more spells. Yep. So you can blast away.
1: Yeah, and, and then um, when we switch back to Pathfinder at level 3, your channel energy goes up to 2d6 rather than 1d6. Uh, you get more spells. And it pretty much repeats like that for every other level. So every level you get more spells, but every other level you get the increase in your channel energy. So at this point, we pretty much stop talking about the uh, the Pathfinder level stuff, and we hand it right back over to D&D. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So in D&D, you get uh, one of the things that the clerics are... Well, and clerics... I, I don't know if paladins really part of this, but destroy undead. You get that at level 5 if you want to be a cleric in D&D, 5e. Um, so you, when undead fails saving throws against your turn undead, uh, the creature is destroyed if its challenge rating or CR is low enough. And at 5th level, it needs to be half or lower, and it increases at higher levels. And so kind of like we just said with with Pathfinder everything's kind of just starts to repeat after itself and just get better after after 5th level. Yep. So you'll get more channel divinity, more destroy undead at a higher CR, stuff like that. But <clears throat> as far as the base features, it just kind of keeps snowballing onto what we've already talked about.
1: Absolutely. So we we've spent a little time talking about kind of their skills and and the things that they can do. Um, so let's move into how we better integrate clerics into our story, and I, I think there's a there's a couple of options from a a story perspective, and then there's some options from a combat perspective as well. Um, I, I'll get it kicked off with with uh, with the story, and I think I've mentioned this in the previous in a previous episode, but you can have kind of a a prophecy, a, a dream, where where the uh, the cleric's god comes to them and tells them something, hopefully something vague and easily misinterpreted, so that the players can kind of make their own thing out of that vague and misinterpreted thing that you said. and You can say, <laughs> yes, that was it all along. Uh, <laughs> um, I, for 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 me, we had uh, we had a session where uh, where the cleric in my game. Had this dream, and and the, God basically told him that he was a, he was a cleric of Nethys, so uh, God of magic, or goddess of magic, and basically told him, hey, look, there's gonna come a time in the near future that you're gonna have to make a decision, and it may seem like one of those decisions is turning your back on me, but I just want to let you know that either way you go is an acceptable way forward, and and <laughs> like left it at that. And so they had to, they, they they were like, oh, what's that mean? What's that mean? It went back and forth on it. And I didn't do anything with that for a very long time. It was <laughs> six months later. <laughs> and, and this was actually one that I knew what the prophecy related to. So it wasn't like I had just forgotten it. It was literally six months later before they got to this part in the story where this choice had to be made. And I... They had been having a conversation with an NPC, and I I started to hint and be like, "Hey, you might remember." And he's like, "Oh, I remember." <laughs> so so he held on to that and and really just it it came back to him at that moment, and he was like, "Yeah, I, I know, I totally know what you're talking about."
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's always nice when when they remember, hey.
1: Yep. <laughs> so, what are some other uh, ways to to integrate the clerics?
0: one thing that i've noticed when i was when i was playing with a cleric is that uh, so i know that for for the most part i don't track these as closely as i should but i'm talking about spell components hmm. the material components for spells now if somebody needs a feather to cast a spell i i don't care i just assume <laughs> that they have a pouch and they found a bird and they took a feather and i whatever but when you look at some of the spells that the clerics do, um, some of them can get mighty expensive. So common cleric type things, as far as tropes go, is uh, resurrecting. You know, a party member has died and you want to bring them back. Just like a brief overview, Revivify needs a diamond that costs 300 gold pieces. Resurrection costs 1,000 gold pieces. And true resurrection costs 25,000 gold pieces. Like... Those are very, very big costs when you're looking at those various levels of your party. And you can definitely find ways to integrate that into your campaign. Because either you have to <laughs> rob, actually, I'm already laughing, rob the person who died, take all of their stuff and sell it <laughs> to bring them back to life, right? Or you can send the party on a quest to find, you know, whatever size of diamond that they need. Guess what? You get to go um, visit the dwarves, you know, hit up the mines. Um, or they could, you could, you could work it into them, you know, not to mention the fact that a 25,000 gold piece valued diamond. Diamond. That's not just going to be sold at the corner store. That, that's what I was going like to say.
1: Those are going to be rare and hard to find. You're not just going to walk into a store and and plunk down twenty five thousand gold pieces and be like, "Here you yeah. go. I'll take the biggest diamond you
0: got." Yeah, I'll <laughs> take three of them. We've got a big trek ahead of us. Uh, you know. <laughs> And so you're going to have to, or you don't have to, but an option is to make them quest to find them. Or maybe somebody who is super rich in the area has one that they're willing to part with in exchange for whatever, you know, go do anything. It can be the start to almost any sort of quest. And, uh, and what I like about this kind of quest is that when you're sending a party member or when you're sending a party on a quest for a diamond it's because someone's dead yeah and they are super super motivated to do this quest whatever it is you hand them because there's a time limit on some of these spells yep
1: (laughs) yeah absolutely and and, i mean it doesn't even have to be diamonds there could be other more powerful spells that they just really want to do and if they don't have the the more expensive material components and i agree with you i'm not going to nitpick over a feather or a a bag full of sand or whatever <laughs> um, <laughs> but the the ones that are have very expensive components they have those for a reason so that p- people aren't just like resurrect, 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 left and right
0: <laughs> yeah, and there's a reason why there's a cost to it as otherwise they would be way too overpowered yep. you know
1: so another way that we can look at integrating um integrating clerics into the game or the story is, is they could have um, this could this could come to them in in the dream conversation with their god, or or it could come from like a religious leader in their church or whatever. Uh, but they could have a quest to uh, to find a stolen religious relic that belongs to their religious sect, and their 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 goal is to find this thing. So they have kind of like this built-in plot because why would you not go after after this thing if you happen to know where you might be able to find it?
0: Well, especially if you're if you're if your deity is like, "Yo, I need some help, bro <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so it you you kind of mentioned it before about you know their religious sect, and that is another way to to integrate your clerics into your game is that if if they're running around, preaching the good word or whatever it is that they're doing. Like the clerics usually like they have their religious symbols and stuff like that. And so members of their sect will be able to recognize them and could uh, seek them out uh, on behalf of their deity or their, their religious groups or whatever it is um, to give them tasks or news kind of like retrieving the religious relic, um, but could be done on a smaller scale than having, the God themselves reach out. And another one is that, is that uh, if, if the players or the party goes into a town that has a temple or whatever to the God or the deity of the cleric, there's a really good chance that they're going to be very welcome there. Right. Yep. And it could ease their transition into that town, give them free lodging, possibly, um, possibly access to healing information, knowledge. uh, So you can, Kind of give the cleric a bit of a boost that way and be like, hey, because of this choice that you've made, this whole town is going to be a little bit more mellow on your party instead of a hard start.
1: Yeah, and it really ties back into a previous episode we did on uh, on playing with factions because the religious sect is really just another faction in your game. So depending upon how built out or not built out it is, it'll determine how much you can use that in your game to, to integrate the cleric. But you can use some of those same sort of storylines that we talked about there um, as, part of that, um, as part of that religious sect to, to, again, integrate them into the game. Maybe there is a corruption in the church and they need somebody not from around here who is still a devout follower to root out that corruption. Uh, it could be any number of things uh, that, that they, you can also generate um, new storyline ideas just from them interacting with that group, too.
0: Oh, absolutely. Or, you know, they could be corrupt and not want that particular cleric there. And so try to work around getting the party out of town, even though it is a friendly seeming um, building or, or place to stay or whatever.
1: Absolutely. Do you like quests? If so, I have good news for you. Darkwind, the sponsor of this episode of Becoming DM, is full of quests for your character to pursue. Whether it's finding the components to make a potion, dealing with the town bully, assembling an ancient artifact, or just finding a collar for the local stray, there are a lot of quests to check out. And they're all ranked by level, so you know what you're getting into before you start off. You can play Darkwind and check out all of the quests for free. Just go to play.darkwind.org to start your character today. Now let's get back to the show. So, and then when we talk about combat, I think it's important to understand, um, kind of how the player wants to play their character. Cause if, uh if they they like my player don't really want to do a whole lot of healing you probably should give them opportunities to heal a different way if it if if you need to depending upon the type of game you run um but if they're okay with that, there's always going to be opportunities to heal. <laughs> um, one way in combat to really make them kind of shine is, is to give them the opportunity to fight those hordes of the undead so that they can use their ability to turn undead. And, and like in D&D, when you get to that fifth level, to destroy undead so you can have a horde of like skeletons. I think those are CR one half. And like all the skeletons could die if they failed that saving throw. So that would be a lot of fun.
0: That could be a lot of fun. And especially if you know that, well, depending on how you want to do your levels, but if you know that your characters are just on the brink of hitting that four or five, um, and then to have them be surrounded by these skeletons and just have something to do to trigger that, that last little level gain and have them gain this ability to free the party. It could be very rewarding. Yep. And then, you. Um, so because, Oh yeah. No, go right ahead. I was just, I was just gonna say because of their high wisdom score they often have really good perception um so that comes in pretty handy uh like especially in in 5 e because perception you just roll that for everything um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's crazy it's pretty common in uh, uh, in
1: Pathfinder too <laughs> is
0: it yeah i i i i've been I've been stuck in this thing for the last couple of weeks reminiscing on three point five probably way too much. Um so, yeah. so I've got a three point five picture might...
1: next to your bed, and you look at it as you go I to did. bed every night. <laughs> it, it's very longingly, yeah <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: but because of their high perception, the clerics are gonna be really good at finding hidden things. Um, or spotting interesting things in a room that might not be overtly obvious to some of your other party members, or maybe seeing some some skull duggery happening in a in an alleyway somewhere. Yep, and they can percept it.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> um, so maybe let's talk a little bit about challenging clerics. And the thing that I always like to make sure that that DMs remember when when they have. Spell cla- casting classes, and that includes um, clerics in there, because I, I think that oftentimes you you see this massive amount of damage that your spell casters can do, and you're like, ah, oh, these people are unstoppable. There's nothing I can do, which is not the case. Um, being a spellcaster is a huge exercise in resource management. And if you find that every day of the game, they are walking over stuff and just just not having any sort of challenge, chances are that you are not doing enough encounters. Um, now, typical D&D recommendation is six to eight encounters per day. So, If you've got six to eight encounters per day, or even if you go with half of that and do four or five maybe, which is not half, I understand. Um, (laughs) But but if you do with four or five, you still are going to have to have some management of those spell abilities because you can only cast so many of of your level one, level two, blah, blah, blah spells. And if you spend them all on the first fight, then by the fourth fight, you are going to be hurtin'.
0: Oh, absolutely. And if you have players who who really like to assume that this is going to be you know the only big encounter or I'm good to blow my spells, <clears throat> letting them know ahead of time, like alluding to the bigger danger closer to the end of the day or whatever, um, might help encourage them to maybe sit on a couple of their bigger spells. Because, uh, yeah, otherwise you just there's there's definitely a lot of if you put in a time pressure Right to force them to not be able to just take short rests and long rests to regain their spells all the time. It puts a lot more of that resource management into the game, yep. and that is that is a huge part of, of running that character effectively. Because if you if you put them up against six goblins and you know they drop holy fire on them, <laughs> and, and the next day they run into six more goblins, well, yeah, they're going to be pretty easy to deal with. But once you're out of spells, you're down to you know, next to no hit points because you've had a really rough day, lots of tough encounters and you run into those same six goblins. That's going to be a very different story and uh, a lot more thrilling. Also very disappointing. If you're high level, anything gets killed by six goblins. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, but something that you can work into it.
1: Yeah. and, And to that, if you really wanted to add just another layer of challenge in there, you could put them into an environment where they don't have the ability to get a long rest because there's hostels all over the place. There's just no time to rest, and so you you have them go for like two days straight uh, without the rest. And then you've got, in in addition to having basically 48 hours without a refresh on the spells potentially, you've got le- levels of exhaustion that are creeping up on them, and and mm-hmm. just you can add in a bunch of things there. Um, and and it really is going to make that that cleric role a lot more challenging than maybe it normally is.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, you can you can really apply the pressure if if you put the time into designing the encounter or just the day, right? The the day correctly.
1: Right. Another thing that you can do is is to Create an environment where maybe they have to hide the symbols of their deity. This is, I think, for for those those parties that are really big into role playing and having those interactions with NPCs and stuff like that. Um, but but put them in an area where, for some reason, their deity is uh, should not be expressed. So whether that's uh, the people worship a rival deity or they just don't like that deity. Um, and, and this can be kind of a, a neat little, I, I think, a, kind of like a little bit of a cloak and dagger. You, you can end up having to sneak around to, because maybe somebody finds out that you're a cleric of, of whoever um, and, and do, do stuff like that. Have you ever done a game like that?
0: Um, I, we have done. That was part of the, uh, the game that I played in. Um, there was a lot of different factions, and very, very few of them were friends with our cleric. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah it can get a little bit dicey especially when you like it depends on how you set the factions up though because if you have you know factions who are more likely to just you know you know like Untie your shoelaces, you know, it's like, well, that's, (laughs) that's, that's annoying. But you could also have factions who just truly and purely hate each other or believe it's part of their God's will or their deity's will to, to remove you from the planet. You know, which can really change the dynamics of a game or a village, especially like if something crazy like that happens in a tiny village, just the mayhaps of this other party who is completely against your cleric rolls into town at the same time could get very interesting for the for the poor townspeople.
1: Yeah. And, and when we talked about integrating earlier, we talked about how you could potentially get get more access because of your connection with your religious sect you could have the opposite here where maybe somewhere you want to go you can't get access to it because of your association with this particular god and uh, maybe mm-hmm. the rest of the party gets let in or maybe because they associate with you they don't get let in either um, so there's some interesting things you can do with the uh with with the the flip side of that coin where where they get access over here. And I think having those both in the same game where they go from one town where they're just revered and everybody thinks they're awesome to another town where it is difficult for them to exist um, is a nice dichotomy. I, I really like having those, those kind of comparison points when we talk about uh, having a, a game built out.
0: Absolutely. And it helps bring a sense of of life. And that's my favorite part about d d is trying to build life into the game is when you have the town reacting to your players um, in any sort of way. Right. And I like the I like the religious aspect of, of reactions to clerics. Um, it's a it's a great easy way to throw it in there because there's however many deities I have no idea like four thousand <laughs> I, I don't know there could be eight but that's still a lot of different temples and stuff and the chances of running into um, any sort of issue is is actually pretty high.
1: Yeah, I had um I in in my game I had a town that was pretty much run by. Um, four major religious sects that did did not get along with each other so there was a there was a whole lot of posturing for power and 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 the, definitely looking upon the cleric of the group different ways based upon who they were interacting with and it, it can it can be a lot of fun it does take a little bit of as the dm i think it, t- it takes a little bit of work to really Think about and understand how this person may react, knowing that um this cleric is associated with this god and and just kind of understanding those interplays um to to build them out it could be a lot of fun, but it it can be some work to get there,
0: yeah, definitely a little bit of back end work for the for the dm or gm on that one um but the only other like as far as challenging your 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 clerics go I'm going to kind of revisit what I said before about the spell components mm-hmm. because some of those spell components are really expensive and as much as you can integrate them into into your campaign and and make them part of your story this is a huge challenge for for clerics if you're paying attention because if if your party's in a tight spot and the cleric's like I'm going to cast X whatever it is it's like well do you have a golden statue of a horse on you because that's the material component for that. And if they, and they, Oh, well,
1: and it's not just any horse. It's a Palomino.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Five hands high. Um, Yeah. So, and you, and you can challenge them in that regard so that, that they have to pay more attention to their character, pay more attention to what they're doing, where they're getting stuff. Um, Maybe make shopping more or less exciting. I don't know.
1: well, and and, as we said, some of those components are not going to be something you can just walk into a store and buy. So again, it it brings back that potential need to quest to find it. And if you find it, who's to say that it doesn't get stolen by some little rogue that's hanging out behind you? <laughs> um, whatever that may be. so you can you can add in some, I mean, you can add in some challenges, even if they have it. They might not have it for long, depending upon, the situation that they're in around them.
0: Or good opportunities for role-playing, yep. right? Like if they really want to cast this spell, but they can't find the golden five-hand high Palomino horse statue, <laughs> but they're walking through a village and in the candlelight in the window, they see, you know, this, this little horse statue on the mantelpiece. It's like, well, guess who's about to role-play with bro, the villager? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Or possibly just send that Rogan to steal it.
1: <laughs> yep. I, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to have to make a spell for that requires a five-hand-high golden Palomino <laughs> uh, at this point, just because we've been talking about it enough. So <laughs> be aware, players.
0: <laughs> Coming to a game near you. Yeah. So uh,
1: the, the next way to challenge your players, I'm going to say, and those people that know me well might gasp, because they know how I feel about this particular topic, um, but <laughs> hold them to their alignment that their deity requires. Uh, and I know I've said in a previous episode I really don't care for the alignment system within uh, within Pathfinder or within D and D and Pathfinder uh, in general. But I, I think that this is actually a good reason to use it in your game because those deities do have alignments; they do have things that they like and that they do so if you if you're not really using the defined constraint of alignment you can still ref- use like the things that are the characteristics of the deity to, to define what they do and do not like for their worshipers to do um and and so you can use that to constrain what the player's um, should and should not do. I don't say can and cannot because they can do whatever they want. It's just a matter of having consequences. And and when I say consequences, I'm, I keep on adding these qualifiers there. But hey, let's let's roll <laughs> with it. Um, it shouldn't be just like you do one thing and it's instantaneous. That's one action does not make a, a person's alignment or a person's whole being. That's just one action. People have bad days. So, but. If they continue down this this path where they are consistently doing things like maybe maybe they they worship the god of justice and they keep stealing things from people, well, that's probably not uh, not in good keeping with that god. So you can start to have these um, these clues that hey, you're you're on a path that's not not good. Um, so. Nah, like I, I'll I'll hand it over to you to Danielle. What's what what are some ways that you could do that?
0: <laughs> ways that you could do that? Well, in three point five, just you talking about this reminded me. There's this magic item that you could buy. Um, I can't remember what it was called. It was like. Divine phylactrite or something like that. Is I always pictured it as like a necktie that you just wore around your head. (laughs) And the only thing it would do was if you were about to do something that was against your alignment, it would tell you. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's it. That's all it ever did. And every time I opened up the book I read that and I was like, why? I, I don't know anybody who's ever used that magic item. Um, there must be some sort of grand use for it, but I never figured it out. Um, <laughs> so aside from tying this necktie to your head, other ways that you can let your players know that uh, they might be, you know, going a little bit away from the wishes of their God would be maybe have some voices in their head. Mm-hmm. So some some whispering voice that every time they're like, I want to steal from this baby. It's like, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, or maybe they have, uh, you know, an evil deity, and uh, they walk past a child with candy, and they don't steal from it. And it's they like, hear oh, screaming Archie in ha- their yeah. head, why didn't you take <laughs> that? <laughs> <laughs> we want the candy. So, yeah, stuff like that. Or you could have them come to a dream. I know we've mentioned uh, the dream thing before. Yep. And it's, it's uh yeah, just have the deity or, or um, uh, a, a lackey of the deity. I'd show up in a dream and be like hey you know, you, you, do you remember that time when you burnt that village? We didn't like that. And we would appreciate it if you didn't do that anymore.
1: I, I like the idea of a lackey. You, you mentioned that and it just like was an aha moment to me because <laughs> when you start down this path, maybe before you would get visited by your God in dreams and they would give you these this purpose. But when you've taken your step off the path and you're, you're going down this road that leads away from your God... They don't have time for you anymore. They're gonna send a lackey and be like, "Hey, just go tell this guy what' what's what? I, I don't I don't have time for him anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> Now it's Bob's job now. <laughs>
1: um, you can also have a couple of things that I think would be interesting narratively as as um you play through like combat stuff like that. So, things like um when they cast a spell, kind of describing how they cast it and and how maybe it feels more difficult than normal to complete the casting of the spell. Um maybe it t- they they notice like after they do their chant to their god that there's a pause. Like you you wait a moment and nothing happens, but then then the spell goes off. And so it's not really changing anything Um, mechanically, uh, because it's still going off in the time of their turn. It's still going off, even though it's harder to cast, it's not changing anything about the mechanics of it, but it's providing them a narrative that says something's not right here. And, uh, and maybe I'm not going to tell you exactly what that is right now. Maybe that's for the dream later. Uh, but you know (laughs) that something's not right and maybe you need to start evaluating your choices more closely.
0: Mm-hmm. Or they could also because um, clerics have to prepare their spells uh, like uh, in the morning yep. and so they could find possibly great difficulty doing that. Um, you know you could be like you're finding it hard to find a connection with your with your with your deity, that kind of stuff you because they should be able they probably feel that that connection, right? Because they're literally like divine channeling and all that stuff. Like they're channeling the energy from these gods. Yep. And so you could also describe it like that. It's like you feel that channel weakening or breaking or you're finding it difficult to to connect with it or however you want to describe it. But that could also be used.
1: Well, and, and if you're doing that, the other thing that you can do is is let's say that the player says... Screw that! I'm going to keep murdering and, and everything else, even though my God doesn't care about care for it. Um, you could you could actually take this down down a path if they continue down that path and they're really actually bending their alignment to where it's really not in line with the God. Um, you could start like the next step. You could you could do like when they're preparing their spells and they're like, "Hey, I I, I got my spell is prepared," and you can say, "Well, hold on." Um, that's not the spell list you, you prepared and hand them a piece of paper and say, this is actually the spell list that your God let you prepare today. Um, <laughs> um <laughs> Because I mean, the God is granting them this power. So feasibly you could say, yeah, you're not going to get all the stuff that you're maiming people with. You're only going to get heal spells.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Force them into passivity.
1: Yeah. Um So <laughs> it, obviously it wouldn't be like a first step. It, Definitely wouldn't oh, be yeah. a, a reaction to a first action by any means, but getting down far enough along a path, you can do some interesting things to to show that disconnection from their from their god and uh, and kind of make them make a choice.
0: Because mm-hmm. the eventuality of it is is if they keep pushing against their their deity's um, will, their deity will stop channeling through them. Yep. Right they will stop and the cleric will stop getting the spells like all of them all of them can be gone and like like John was saying you don't want this to be your first or second step right this is obviously a choice that somebody has to actively be making constantly you know burning villages upon villages upon villages before the deity looks at them and it's just like you know what no I can't have my name tied to this this is not good for PR Um, I gotta drop this guy like a hot rock
1: yeah and what i will say is if you if you do implement um something like like this kind of mechanic where you're actually changing some of the mechanics of their spells then you really need to as the dm when they are about to do an action um that especially if it's kind of in a gray area where where someone could make the argument that it's not uh polar opposite or whatever you need to 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 provide some wording to them to make them realize that, hey, you're, you're about to do this and there's this nagging sensation in the back of your head that you don't feel like uh, so-and-so, your god, is is going to be happy with you going this route. So, so it, and, and, and I say this because I, the last thing that you want to do is have your opinion of what an action is and the player's opinion of what an action is be different and have them saying, mm-hmm. "Why did I lose my powers this This was perfectly within within uh all of what my God is about. so um sometimes you you do need to be clear on that, especially if you're talking about changing the mechanics of their character
0: yeah when when big changes are afoot like that, you have to make sure to keep those open lines of communication with your players. Um, something like this is not gonna happen over the course of a single session, unlikely. Um, so it might also be pertinent to at the end of a session pull that player aside and be like hey you know I'm not sure like just so you know <laughs> this this isn't kind of how uh, how I'm viewing this and I feel like it's gonna impact you this way and uh, it, but if the player is like no no that's that's what I'm going for I right. want to make this this deity angry at me and then you can be like all right well let's let's go that route but then at least it gives you an opportunity to kind of prepare ahead of time or to brace them for what might be coming
1: yeah definitely make it very- very plain because sometimes players will not pick up on hints. So in between those sessions, be like, Hey, I don't know if you picked up on this, but this is what's going on here. So if you don't want to lose those powers, you might want to think about <laughs> how you're playing your character. Um,
0: Absolutely.
1: And again, this kind of gets into that whole, like, do you use alignment? Do you not? Do you look at the characteristics, of the deity and use those it's up to you and how your game uh reflects that if you are heavy user user of alignment by all means use alignment if you're like me where alignment doesn't come into play so much as reputation then you do have to kind of understand what the god's about to understand if an action is against what that god's about
0: Mm -hmm. most definitely
1: So I think that's all that we wanted to cover today. Uh, Thanks for joining us on the latest Dealing With. And uh, until next time, stay stay nerdy, nerdy, friends. friends. Thanks for joining us again. Make sure to share the show with friends to help grow our audience. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash becomingdm. On Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest, we are Becoming DM. And our website is becomingdm.com. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Danielle Tremblay. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.